Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQBD Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, President Joe Biden wants more Americans to drive electric cars to reduce planet warming emissions and better compete economically with China. But the strategy he unveiled last week has drawn criticism for not going far enough. We look at the plan and California's role in it. Then the state's drought has triggered yet another unprecedented event, the shutdown of the hydroelectric power plant at Lake Oroville because the water level is too low. We learn more about the impact of the shutdown next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. President Biden wants half of all new cars sold in the U.S. by 2030 to be electric, battery electric, plug-in hybrid, or hydrogen fuel cell electric. Biden signed an executive order last week setting that as a target, and he proposed new fuel efficiency standards of 52 miles per gallon by 2026. While Biden's plans will require major changes in the auto industry and in consumer behavior, They fall far short of the goals California has put in place. Joining me now is Lauren Sanchez, climate advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom, also a former senior advisor to the special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, and a former deputy secretary at California's Environmental Protection Agency. Lauren Sanchez, so glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Mina. Also with us is Ethan Elkine, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. He also hosts the podcast Climate Break. Ethan Elkind, glad to have you on as well. Yeah, good to be with you. Thank you. So, Lauren Sanchez, let's start with you. What's your reaction to Biden's strategy to get more zero emissions vehicles on the roads by 2030? Thanks, Nina. Mina. Um, well, it's so great to be with you this morning. You know, the just to contextualize what happened last week, California has spent decades fighting on this agenda to, uh, you know, advance clean cars across the state. My father grew up in Los Angeles. I think we're all familiar with the iconic smog-filled photos of the 60s and 70s. He couldn't go outside for recess um, because of the harmful air pollution. And fast forward to 2021, we've made an immense amount of progress in cleaning up the air across the state. However, much remains to be done. And we know that, you know, the climate impacts facing Californians today from the Dixie fire to the emergency drought proclamations and the stress on the energy grid means we need to do as much as we possibly can. And that was really what inspired 
Governor Newsom and his leadership on this agenda over uh, the past three years while he's been in office. His message, our message to the White House last week was great start, President Biden, but there's much more we have to do together. And compared to where, uh, you know, the former administration was on this agenda, I have to say it's just so relieving to have a federal partner that is grounded in science and protecting public health and very much committed to tackling the climate crisis together with us. You know, the president had kind of three prongs of his announcement, uh, both advancing the zero emission vehicle executive order, the new fuel efficiency and emission standards, and then a heavy emphasis on our heavy duty sector, cleaning up those diesel trucks and buses that we know in California are driving through our disadvantaged, polluted communities across the state. And frankly, Mina, in all three of those, California's goals are more ambitious. Our regulations are stricter and we have a more aggressive timeline for delivering cleaner cars onto our roads. We so both feeling relief, you know, watching the Rose Garden ceremony, but also deeply, deeply committed to working together to continue pushing the federal government. And I would just comment, you know, this has been the history on this issue for four or five decades now. The Fed set uh, the floor and California very eagerly races towards the ceiling, Um, you know, cutting pollution, advancing environmental justice and clearing the air across the state. Yeah. So let's break this on just a little bit what you brought up i mean california's executive order says that by 2035 all new cars and passenger trucks sold in california will be zero emission vehicles president biden says half by 2030 and and i am wondering how good a start you really feel it is given the fact that because california has such a an outsized influence on the car market i i would think that you know, the automobile industry would already be putting a lot of the steps in place to meet California's more aggressive goals. Feels like maybe Biden could have done something more. Yeah, great. I mean, great points, Mina. I think just to uh, compare California's market to the national scene right now, you know, we really had a jumpstart on the zero emission vehicle market here in the state. You know, President Biden and his team Uh, My former team for the last six months are, you know, very much trying to make up for the last four years of rollbacks, uh, gutting science, gutting the agencies working on these regulations, um, you know, very much trying to restore uh, the federal government's role in these issues and then, um, you know, regulate as quickly as possible. So. I'm thankful for our head start, you know, just in terms of numbers, we're at about 11% of sales in the state right now are zero emission versus the nation, which is around 2%. We have about half of the vehicle, the ZEVs in the nation here on our roads in California. Um, You know, the years where we've been advancing our ZEV mandate and our clean, aggressive clean car regs have meant that um, you know, 75,000 chargers. The governor often likes to tout Zevs are our number one export here in the state of California. And we're about to cross the 1 million uh, vehicle threshold. So much to be done. Um, you know, our partners putting, our federal partners putting a stake in the ground at 50 by 2030 was a good start, but we know where we have to be 
uh, by 2035, which is 100%. Yeah. And Ethan Elkind, um, Lauren Sanchez mentions that it's nice to have a federal partner that's sort of in line with what California is trying to achieve. Can you talk a little bit about those fuel efficiency standards that Lauren Sanchez brought up? It, it feels like we're essentially restoring Obama-era standards with maybe a slight increase, in part because the Trump administration had rolled those back? Yeah, that's correct, Mina. So the Obama administration had already got pretty aggressive standards in place through 2025. When Trump came in, his administration basically held those up, put out new ones that were very weak. And now what Biden is basically doing is saying, look, We've only got a few years left looking out towards 2025, which is as far out as the Obama regulations went. Let's just salvage what we can, restore them. That provides a bit of litigation insulation because they've already been established. So there's a better case to the courts that it's that these are already well, well supported regulations. And then the, the big part, the sort of TBD part of what Biden announced is that he's now directing his agencies to develop even more aggressive rules after 2025, which would go beyond when Obama had had put those rules in place, along with, as you were just discussing with Lauren, this idea of 50 percent uh, zero emission vehicles by 2030. One point I would just make about that target uh, of 50 percent of those vehicles being zero emission by that year, that basically is already in line with what most of the major automakers have already pledged. Yeah. So he's not really going beyond what the industry already says they want to do. Interestingly, the three big U.S. automakers that were all at Biden's announcement, GM, Ford, and Stellantis, the parent company of Chrysler, um, they, they said that their shared aspiration, because this is a voluntary target, this, this 50% target by 2030, that their shared aspiration was zero emission vehicles making up 40 to 50% of their U.S. sales. So even then, it didn't sound like they were fully committing to the voluntary target. Ethan yeah. yeah, and it's not it's not uh, necessarily voluntary because his order is directing his agencies that come up with fuel economy standards to essentially use that 50 percent by 2030 as their kind of guiding light for drawing up regulations. So they could end up putting in place fuel economy standards from 26 2026 through 2030, mm. that basically would lead to a 50% zero emission vehicle rollout. And I think where the real action is going to be is how much credit are the major automakers going to get for their zero emission vehicles that they can essentially use so that they don't have to clean up their gas fleet because they're still going to be wanting to sell a lot of internal combustion engine vehicles through 2030. And what they want is not to have to clean up those gas vehicles and instead get credit for their zero emission vehicles. And so I think there's going to be a real battle around how much we clean up the remaining gas vehicles that these U.S. automakers, that these automakers want to sell in the U.S. going forward. Well, let me invite our listeners to join the conversation. What questions do you have about Biden's electric vehicle strategy or your reaction to the news of it? And I'm also curious what it would take for you, listener, to shift from a gas power to electric car if you haven't already. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786 to join the conversation. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Lauren Sanchez, what has been California's experience with working with automakers to try to get them to meet California's goals? Yeah, what a question. Um, you know, I think most of our climate and clean air programs, Mina, across the state over the decades during which we've been 
um, building those out have been in close partnership with industry, including automakers. Um, you know, Ethan brought up kind of the Trump administration's immediate rollbacks. Uh, you know, after looking at that, Governor the Governor Newsom led we led a massive litigation campaign and was able to strike a an agreement with five different automakers, essentially holding in place. Uh, both our ability here in the state to regulate cars, but also preserve some of the progress that we needed to make in terms of fuel efficiency and emission standards. We were really proud of that agreement and that, you know, we found automakers and industry partners that were committed with us to protecting public health and standing up against the Trump administration's, um, you know, frankly, illegal, but very much harmful attacks on this issue. Um, so, you know, partners across the board, we're looking forward to working with the broader alliance, both to implement, uh, you know, California's upcoming regulations, but hopefully standing with us more in our more stringent and more aggressive efforts uh, to tackle these issues. And, Mina, I guess the one thing uh, that might be helpful for listeners, I did want to point out when we think about climate and air pollution here in the state, you know, I think people often Think of solar panels or the fires burning in uh, the Sierra right now, but cars, the 30 million cars on California's roads are really responsible when you include fueling for half of our carbon emissions, which is to say, you know, we have incredibly ambitious climate goals. The governor has recently asked us to look at accelerating those goals, um, you know, the impacts barreling at us now. Yes. But in order to do that, we very much need, uh, you know, the entire vehicle fleet on Californians' roads to get cleaner and as clean as possible, as quickly as possible. Yes. And as you point out, that is the big question looming over this is all these efforts, are all these efforts going to be enough to mitigate the worst impacts of climate change? We will have more talking about electric vehicles after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. President Biden has proposed new fuel efficiency standards and set a target that by 2030, half of all new cars sold in the U.S. will be zero emissions models. We're talking about it with Lauren Sanchez, climate advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom, and Ethan Elkine, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. You, our listeners, are also with us with your questions and reactions to Biden's electric vehicle strategy and telling us what it would take for you to shift from a gas-powered to electric car. You can join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And Paul writes, can you have your guests comment on the relative benefits of electric vehicles? They are not really zero emission, rather transferred emissions, since when we plug them in, some power plant somewhere far away is supplying the electricity. This brings up equity and air quality issues. I'm sure it's better than millions of gas-powered cars, but it's a relative improvement. What's the next step? Ethan Alcon, do you have a reaction to Paul? Yeah, absolutely. It's a question that we get a lot because a lot of people, you know, hear negative things about batteries and the electricity as fuel. Uh, but the reality is, is that electric vehicles are a huge environmental gain over internal combustion engine vehicles, even factoring in emissions from power plants. We've surveyed a lot of literature on this. We came out with a, a report actually last year on this topic. And 
on average, the emissions per per mile driven are fifty percent fewer the greenhouse gas emissions than with an internal combustion engine vehicle. But that can be even as high as eighty five percent fewer emissions, uh, carbon emissions with electric vehicles if you're in an area like California with a pretty clean electricity grid. And so, you know, the worst case scenario is you're fueling up with uh, electricity from a coal fired power plant. But the United States is largely phasing out coal, and worldwide we have to phase out coal to meet our climate goals. So I don't think that that hesitancy over the environmental impact of electric vehicles should be a reason not to to get one. I mean, they are a huge environmental win over internal combustion engines. Of course, we should point out that the ultimate is that people are able to walk and bike and take transit and not have to have a car to get everywhere. So that requires a whole other suite of policies around how we build our communities. But just in terms of switching from internal combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles, there's no doubt that it's, it's a big environmental win. Well, Andrea writes, I'd be happy to switch to an electric vehicle, but my gas vehicle is in great shape and doesn't need to be replaced. It doesn't leave the environment if I replace it. What am I supposed to do? We need better public transit so we don't have to drive. Lauren Sanchez, I'd love for you to respond to Andrea's point. The other thing that I hear a lot is that I'd be happy to switch to an electric vehicle if there are more charging stations. I'm wondering if you could address uh, sort of both points. Yeah, happy to, Mina. I think um, these are terrific points. The state, I would say, in all of the programs we have around electric vehicles and clean cars are only one piece of the very important puzzle that is addressing all of our transportation emissions across the state. You know, we have to think about how communities uh, move, how we move goods across the state, and how, as Ethan points out, people get from home uh, to work and to church and the grocery store. And so, um, you know, while we have a long history of leadership on vehicles, the entire administration is working really hard on building transit near communities um, and reducing what's called vehicle miles traveled, uh, which is very high in California, mostly because Californians love their cars. A big piece of that you know, there was movement on this morning, the Senate voting on our infrastructure bill. It has bipartisan support from Washington. Um, so, you know, the state is very excited to see some infrastructure investments um, and federal help on uh, building out rail and bus networks and communities. Um, and then I, I'm sorry, I forgot the second part. Yeah, of the well, Emily writes, I would love to replace my car with an electric vehicle. However, I'm a renter with street parking and no reliable access to a charging station. Charging infrastructure will need to be widespread and reliable for people who don't have a driveway or a garage in order for EV adoption to really get off the ground. And, and that's the second big thing I hear, Lauren Sanchez, is just in terms of our charging infrastructure. And I'm wondering where California is on that. Absolutely. Mina, we have around 75,000 chargers across the state, but we know we need to build out the network um, so that everybody, so that charging is convenient and affordable um, for everyone. And that includes folks in multifamily homes, folks that rent cars and rural Californians. Um, You know, I view this as a really important pillar of this agenda because of the amazing uh, good paying job opportunities that we know come with building out the infrastructure network. Um, you know, a really important part of our kind of just transition policies in the state. Our, um, you know, we have really specific targets around building charging infrastructure in our disadvantaged communities so that they are convenient 
for all Californians. Um, and luckily a bunch of the Volkswagen uh, scandal money is going to building out those networks across the state as well. Yes, but I'm hearing upwards of needing more than a million or so EV chargers. Is that about right in terms of estimate, Lauren Sanchez? I think that's about right. I mean, I would have to check the latest numbers. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Well, let me go to caller Russ in Berkeley. Hi, Russ. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Uh, my name is Russ, Russ Mitchell. I cover, uh, for the Los Angeles Times, I cover electric vehicles, driverless vehicles, and uh, auto safety. Oh. We, did a, uh, we did a report uh, a couple weeks ago. The headline was, uh, good luck getting a state rebate on your new electric car. Um, part of the problem in uh, uh, encouraging this transition is that while the state is pretty generous about rebates, uh, it's a terribly bureaucratic, difficult-to-navigate system that constantly runs out of money, forcing people to wait months to get their rebate. Some people don't even get their rebate at all. It's, uh, there are different programs across different agencies with very similar names, and it is a nightmare for consumers to figure out. So I'm uh, wondering, uh, particularly the uh, your, your guest that represents the governor, yeah. why why does this state of affairs exist? When will California get its act together on making uh, rebates on uh, electric cars easy and encourage the purchase uh, by making it easy? Russ, thanks. I guess we have a bit of a press conference here, Lauren Sanchez. But yes, please, <laughs> that is true. One of the things that you hear a lot is the difficulty that of the bureaucratic processes involved with getting rebates and uh, the need for it to be streamlined. Yes, absolutely. And Russ, thank you so much for the question. This is something I plan to bring back to the team later this morning. Um, you know, this feedback is so incredibly important as we continue to sharpen and refine these rebate programs. Um, you know, the clean vehicle rebate program that uh, Russ is referring to is one that has churned out um, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in rebates, but we know needs to be streamlined and more effective and easier for Californians to navigate. You know, I think our role in government is very much um, to facilitate uh, Californians making the right decision for the environment and for their pocketbooks. I did wanna just highlight um, you know, the governor and our partners in the legislature recently reached agreement on a almost $4 billion package in our budget that is specifically dedicated to zero emission transportation. And I just have to highlight this because I think it'll really move the needle on the transition across the state. And Russ, making sure that, you know, once those programs have the appropriated funds, they are getting them out as quickly as possible to Californians that want to be in these vehicles right now um, is of incredible importance to our office and to the governor. I think, you know, with over 70 models available to Californians and technology is becoming even more widely available, you know, the state is really doubling down on this transition through the budget. And the budget not only gives out, uh, you know, the traditional rebate programs, but is very focused on programs that support equitable access to these options in these technologies for priority communities. So Russ, take this as my promise to you to go back to the team, think more about streamlining and how to make these programs um, effective and as efficient as possible. And Lauren Sanchez, I know you do need to leave us and go back to the team, but we so appreciate you giving us your time today. Thank you so much, Mina.
Lauren Sanchez, climate advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom, also a former senior advisor to the special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, and a former deputy secretary at California's Environmental Protection Agency. Glad to have had you on. Ethan Elkind is staying with us until 1040. So please continue with your questions or comments. 866-733-6786. The number 866-733-6786. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org or post them on Twitter or Facebook. Let me go to Skip in Oakland. Hi, Skip. Hi, this is uh, Skip. Yeah, uh, I had an easy question that's hard to explain. Um, I believe that uh, hydrogen fuel cells are the way we're going to end up. Uh, it seems like electric vehicles are a temporary stopgap because of uh, rare elements and such like that. Anyway, the question I have is one of the problems with electric vehicles is obviously the chargers and the difficulties of having enough charges for cars to get around. Now that's solved pretty much. And I was thinking that uh, in the case of hydrogen fuel cells, perhaps mm. the state of California can, on their side, install hydrogen fuel cell stations at all the gas stations or a substantial number of them. Therefore, the uh, car manufacturers have a reason to build them because there's a place for them to charge. Um Ethan Alkind, what do you think? Are hydrogen fuel cells the direction we're going? I had kind of heard almost the opposite. Yeah, it's it really is the opposite. If we'd had this conversation 12 years ago, 10 years ago, there was a lot of interest in hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. It's the other kind of big zero emission vehicle technology where you use hydrogen to uh, create electricity in a, in a fuel cell to power the vehicle. Uh, at this point, battery lithium ion battery prices have come down so dramatically. I mean, since I've been working on this issue in the last 10 years, it's come down about 90%. And it's why we now see so many much more affordable electric vehicles on the road. Uh, and so interest in hydrogen has completely waned. I think if there's any role for hydrogen fuel cells, thinking about the long-term future, it may be for uh, a small percentage of long-haul trucking, where truckers are driving you know, more than 200, 300 miles in a day, which is pretty unusual, actually. And in that case, uh, lugging around a giant battery pack to fuel that, that long-distance truck trip is just not really that practical. But otherwise, I, I'm very bullish on lithium-ion batteries. There, there really is not a mineral sh critical mineral shortage on lithium ion. I mean, lithium is one of the most abundant elements on earth. There's lithium deposits all over. And in fact, it's a potential real economic win for California. We have a lot of lithium, for example, down in the Salton Sea area in Southern California. Uh, cobalt, there's been a lot of controversy around uh, the mining practices of cobalt in uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but battery makers at this point are phasing out cobalt almost completely from the batteries. So uh, I think lithium ion is here to stay. You can fuel up at home. Hydrogen is in efficient to generate for uh, vehicle trips. It's expensive to put the charging infrastructure in. So I just, I don't think this is an area where the state of California should invest. I really mm. think this is all about battery electric vehicles. Well, Skip, thanks for the question. Let me go to David in Oakland. Hi, David. Hello. Um, my name is David and uh, I'm a enough of an electrical engineer to comment that if tomorrow we had every electric vehicle we were you were you all were thinking about our electric grid would instantly die mm -hmm. uh we haven't invested in the infrastructure to be able to transport let alone generate enough electricity for the vehicles 
for the homes. I understand that we are now proposing to make our homes all electric. Uh, we don't have enough wires along with enough generators. Uh, I have uh, thought about this problem, and we need a source of electricity that is literally carbon-free, and there aren't th- that list is truly mm-hmm. short. Well, David, you raise, I think, really a really important point, Ethan Elkind, I mean, in terms of our infrastructure and shoring up our infrastructure. Well, a- absolutely. If you had all, you know, 40 million people in the state suddenly driving an electric vehicle and plugging in, I mean, our, our grid could not handle it right now. But fortunately, we have time to plan for this transition. We have when we've had we have had time even in the last 10 years. So the California Public Utilities Commission, which regulates investor owned utilities, electric grid, they've been planning for this. And so this is something we can manage. And in fact, there's a lot of opportunities for having a more stable, clean grid with electric vehicles, because these are essentially mobile energy storage units that are driving around the state. And so as people plug in to charge, we can we can incentivize people to charge, for example, during the middle of the day when we have abundant uh, solar power on the grid. So that's a great way to soak up extra solar power that we're generating, particularly in the spring or fall when we're not uh, running a lot of air conditioning and, and therefore have a lot of it. Uh, surplus renewables on the grid, but also we can potentially aggregate millions of electric vehicles to discharge their electricity from the battery into the grid when we have times of shortages, which, you know, we've just had recently in California with these heat waves where we've been told that the grid might go, might go black and, yeah. uh, you know, in the evening, that's when electric vehicles could really step in and help power the grid. So there's a, there's a real potential opportunity here. There's time to plan for this and we, we can do this for sure in California and beyond. Well, Britt asks, where do hybrid cars fall into this conversation since they generate some of their own power? Are they a good alternative to electric cars? It's an interesting question because it is included in the 50% zero emissions target or vehicle target, Ethan Elkind. But I've also been hearing concerns that it was included because it's not truly zero emissions. Yeah, well, their plug-in hybrid vehicles are, are, are to their name, a hybrid where you have a gas engine, but you're supplementing it with uh, with a, an electric motor. So it's, it's a very efficient way to go. I think of them as sort of interim measures. If you're choosing between a gas guzzler and a hybrid, you should definitely go with the hybrid. Uh, but I do think in the long run, it just doesn't make sense for a, a car driver to essentially have to haul around an internal combustion engine uh, as a sort of backup power for the battery, since we're seeing so much progress on battery range increase. And, you know, one critical point about gas engines, they break down all the time. They require a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of moving parts. With a battery electric vehicle, you simply have a battery and a motor. You have about 10% of the parts, the moving parts that an internal combustion engine vehicle has. So you save a ton on maintenance. And it's not just the money you save on things like oil filters and oil changes and all the other things that can go wrong with a gas engine. You also just save the time. You don't have the hassle. The cars are, are much more reliable. And I can speak to personal experience on this. I've been driving a uh, electrically since 2013 and i've had essentially no maintenance beyond you know the usual switch the tires and and replace the uh you know the windshield wipers so uh this is definitely uh, an advantage to get rid of the gas engine completely well we've been getting a lot of questions related to access to charging stations especially if you're in a rental or multifamily unit and things like that and so i i do want you if you could quickly just talk about efforts to make charging stations located more equitably even making cars more affordable in the last minute or so that we have but also if you wouldn't mind just laying out um what also needs to be built up infrastructure wise to make all of this 
happen as the IPCC report tells us we need to make happen very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, well, it is important to note that about half of Americans have a have a place to park with access to a plug. So that means that about half of us can fuel up at home and then we only need a, a public charger if we're going on a longer road trip. Uh, but absolutely, we need to make sure there's more charging available in our disadvantaged communities or low income communities. And that's going to mostly, I think, require public subsidies. And Lauren spoke to this a, a bit before she left, but there are state programs and, and federal programs to try to encourage and try to help subsidize uh, infrastructure in these disadvantaged communities. But there's no doubt that we have to make this transition. And I think the great news is that electric vehicles are, as I mentioned, coming down in price. They're more fun to drive. They're cheaper to operate, cheaper to fuel. Uh, and they are an absolutely critical climate solution. So I think that's really the, the key take home point here. Well, Ethan Elkind, really appreciate you coming on to talk with us about Biden's strategy, which sounds like it's a start, as you both emphasized, I think, at the beginning of the program, and that we could see more stringent rules coming down uh, from the administration in short order. Ethan Elkind, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, also hosts the podcast Climate Break. Earlier, we spoke with Lauren Sanchez, of course, climate advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining the conversation with your great questions. And I want to thank Ariana Prail for producing this segment. We've got another one after the break, so stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.